Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison, on Island Radio, KISL Avalon, at 88.7 on your FM dial, and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we've got two artists with their own first-time birthday segments. We'll hear about some girls named Sue and hear some songs about Marmata Monarchs. And since it's not even close to September 15th yet, we'll don our straw boaters. This very day, June 12th, marks the birth in 1904 on Joseph and Louise Fisher's family farm near Garnavillo, Iowa, of Ferdinand Frederick Fisher, better known as Freddy. As a child, because of his sense of humor and playful wit, his mother, of Austrian heritage, nicknamed him Schnickelfritz, which roughly translates from German as Little Rascal. He took music lessons displaying musical talent, which his parents encouraged, and he became a gifted saxophonist. As a teenager, Freddie was a natural mechanic, and cars were an important part of his life. He worked for a time as a mechanic and received a teaching credential, but really wanted to be a professional musician. Around 1925, Freddie started his first professional band called the Zobo Band. The Zobo was a musical instrument invented in the early 1890s by W.H. Frost in New York. They were marketed to be an affordable alternative to expensive brass band instruments and came in a range of sizes resembling the kazoo, trumpet, trombone, and tuba. Fisher's Zobo band performed in comedic costumes wearing masks and played novelty jazz tunes, polkas, and comedic country songs. In 1930 or 31, while playing at the Sugarloaf Tavern in Winona, Minnesota, the whiz-bang was added to the band. Whizbang is the name Freddie Fisher gave to an old washboard adorned with multiple sound-producing items attached, such as horns, cowbells, woodblocks, bells, whistles, and pots and pans. Freddie's wasn't the first band with a musical washboard. It was used by the Memphis Jug Band in the late 1920s, and even earlier by an unidentified Louisville Jug Band. Freddie Fisher and the Schnickelfritz Band was formally organized in 1934 or early 1935, and the focal point of the group was the Whizbang, played by drummer Kenneth Trisco and also trombonist Stanley Fritz. Others in the band were Nels Lasco, trumpet, Paul Cooper on piano, and brass bass player Charles Koenig. Fisher and Fritz co-led the band and both served as vocalists. The group had a residency at the Pines Tavern at Ballroom in Bloomer, Wisconsin, about 100 miles east of the Twin Cities. For most of 1935 and 36, Freddie Fisher's Schnickelfritz Band broadcast a half-hour show every Monday on WKBH Lacrosse, starting at 11.45 a.m. They were heard weekly for most of 1938 over KWNO Winona and attracted the attention of Spike Jones. The Schnickelfritz Band made their first recordings for DECA on January 27, 1937, billed as America's most unsophisticated band, and within weeks, they were a national sensation. Stan Fritz and Freddie Fisher split in 1939 with Fritz founding the Corn Cobblers, and Freddie Fisher appeared in at least nine films between 1938 and 1949. 
Following a heart attack in late 1948, he gave up the music business and moved to Aspen, Colorado, where he set up Fisher the Fixer's Fix-It Shop. Using his mechanical and electrical skills to repair appliances, and just about anything that needed fixing, and he became a beloved member of the community. Freddie Schnickelfritz Fischer died of a heart attack on March 28, 1967, and his ashes were spread in the Rocky Mountains outside of Aspen. Here are three from Freddie Schnickelfritz Fischer. Blow that horn and sing to pay. Old Mr. Swing has had his day, but Mr. Corn, he's here to stay. Sure as I'm born, he's here to stay. And you'll agree, when you heard him play, he's got that theme. It's hot, it's something no one else has got. Who's that man? It's Colonel Corn. 
pretty red wing, the breeze is sighing, the nightbird's crying, and the far neath star, her baby sleeping, and red wings weeping her heart away. there you have three from Freddie Schnickelfritz Fisher and his orchestra. We started off with a Fisher original, Was You Ever in Cincinnati, from Decca 3703. That's a touch past our non-binding limit of 1939, recorded February 22, 1941. But I chose it specifically for my friends and listeners, Joe and Patty and Matt and Danielle, who was, uh, who are in Cincinnati. I never was in Cincinnati, but hopefully someday. Freddie and the orchestra were in a number of films, one of them the Warner Brothers production Gold Diggers in Paradise, starring Rudy Valley. We heard one of three songs played by the Schnickelfritz band in the film, Colonel Corn, another Fisher song. It was recorded commercially on April 5, 1938 in Los Angeles and issued on Decca 1771. We finished up with another song from that session, Red Wing, not on the flip side, but issued on Decca 1929. Red Wing was written by Carrie Mills. The band had tried recording it in Chicago about nine months earlier, but that effort, apparently an instrumental, was rejected. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. This segment topic is courtesy of my wife, who sent me an article from a recent edition of the New York Times. Straw hats appeared in the 19th century in connection with summertime sporting events such as boating, hence the name boater. By the early 20th century, straw boaters were considered acceptable summer day attire, even for businessmen. But there was an unwritten fashion rule that no one was supposed to wear a straw hat past September 15th, known as Felt Hat Day. 
It was socially acceptable for stockbrokers to destroy each other's hats since they were co-workers, but was not acceptable for total strangers. If a man was seen wearing a straw hat, he was at minimum subjecting himself to ridicule, and it was a tradition for youths to knock straw hats off wearers' heads and stomp on them. This tradition became well-established, and newspapers of the day would often warn people of the impending approach of the 15th, when men would have to switch to felt or silk hats. Hat bashing was only socially acceptable after September 15th, but there were multiple occasions leading up to this date where the police had to intervene and stop teenagers from engaging in the activity. On September 13, 1922, two days before the unwritten deadline, a group of rowdies decided to get an early start on the tradition. This group began in Lower Manhattan by removing and stomping hats worn by factory workers employed in the area. When they tried stomping the hats of dock workers, it turned into a brawl, stopping traffic on the Manhattan Bridge and having to be broken up by police. Gangs of teenagers roamed the streets the next evening, wielding large sticks, sometimes with nails at the end for snatching hats. Others stood along train tracks, swiping hats off passing riders. Several men were hospitalized, and many arrests were made, with most paying fines, but one perpetrator serving three days in jail. The tradition of hat smashing continued for a time past 1922, with a man murdered in 1924 for wearing a straw hat. In 1925, President Calvin Coolidge tried to put an end to the cutoff rule by going for a mid-September stroll in the tabooed headgear. By the 1950s, the classic straw boater was essentially extinct as a garment, except in specialized circumstances, such as certain public school uniforms, college sportswear, barbershop quartets, and ragtime festivals. So here to commemorate the Straw Hat Riots of 1922 is a set of rapidly rotating records about... Yep, straw hats.
Holiday with Teddy Wilson and his orchestra, July 2nd, 1935, with a sunbonnet blue and a yellow straw hat. Sammy Fain wrote the music and Irving Kale the lyric. That's from Brunswick 7498. We started that straw hat set with Gail Reese with Bunny Berrigan and his orchestra and an old straw hat, written by Mac Gordon and Harry Revel. That's another soundtrack tune from the 20th Century Fox film Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, starring Shirley Temple. Victor 25816 was recorded March 16, 1938, just two days before the film's release in the U.S. Have a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on Rapidly Rotating Records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. On the May 22nd show, I played My Sue. Yep, here are some records about some other Sues. I went to see my Susan, she met me at the door And told me that I needn't come to see her anymore She fell in love with Rufus, Andrew Jackson Payne I looked her in the face and said, goodbye Susan Jane Oh Susan Jane, she's the gal what I adore Oh Susan Jane, and I love her more and more Oh Susan, quit your fooling and give my heart to me. Oh, give me back my love again and I will let you be. I used to love you dearly, I cannot love again. I'm going away to leave you now. Goodbye, Susan Jane. Her mouth was like a cellar, her foot was like a ham. Her eyes were like an owl's at night, her voice was never calm. Her hair was long and curly, she looked just like a crane. I bid farewell to all my love, goodbye Susan Jane. Oh Susan Jane, she's the gal what I adore. Oh Susan Jane, and I love her more and more. Oh Susan, quit your fooling and give my heart to me. Oh, give me back my love again and I will let you be. I used to love you dearly, I cannot love again. I'm going away to leave you now. Goodbye, Susan Jane. Oh, Susan, so deceiving, she will not do to trust. I threatened once to leave her and leave her now I must. I'll never love another to cause me any pain. I've trusted her and all the girls are just like Susan Jane. Oh, Susan Jane, she's the gal what I adore. Oh, Susan Jane, and I love her more and more. Oh, Susan, quit your fooling and give my heart to me. Oh, give me back my love again and I will let you be. I used to love you dearly, I cannot love again. 
I'm going away to leave you now. Goodbye, Susan Jane. Oh, Susan Jane, she's the gal what I adore. Oh, Susan Jane, and I love her more and more. Oh, Susan, quit your fooling and give my heart to me. Oh, give me back my love again and I will let you be. I used to love you dearly, but I cannot love again. I'm going away to leave you now. So, goodbye, Susan Jane.
How's that for a set of records? I think we covered all the variations of Sue, starting with Susan Jane, written by Will S. Hayes, who will be getting his own birthday segment for the very first time on the July 24th show, by the way. Those were the Gold Dust twins, Goldie and Dusty. In fact, Harvey Hindermeyer and Earl Tuckerman. Hindermeyer was a prolific recording artist, a featured Edison soloist, and member of a number of duets and quartets. He and Tuckerman worked on WEAF and NBC Radio as the blackface characters the Gold Dust Twins, sponsored by Gold Dust Washing Powder. Oh, and Hindermeyer was Goldie and Tuckerman was Dusty. Next, we were Walking with Susie, courtesy of Earl Lee and his Singsters. Earl Lee was a pseudonym for Ed Kirkaby. Walking with Susie was written by Con Conrad, Sidney Mitchell, and Archie Gottler and was heard in the Fox movie Tone Follies of 1929, along with seven other songs by the trio. The commercial recording was made May 6, 1929, 19 days before the film's release, and issued on Broadway 78, number 1291. Next, another Sue song, Broken Hearted Sue. Those were the Brock sisters, Lorraine, Bobby, and Patricia, with Arthur Johnston providing the piano accompaniment, on Victor 20325 from September 11, 1926. May Singy Breen and Peter DeRose wrote the music and Daly Paskman the words. Lorraine, Bobby, and Patricia Brox, B-R-O-X, were actually Eunice, Josephine, and Kathleen Brock, B-R-O-C-K. And we finished up with Susanna's Squeaking Shoes, written by Muriel Lilly. That was the Broadway band, directed by violinist Victor Vorzanger, around June of 1923 on ACO 78G15220. ACO was a British budget label active from 1922 through 1927. It was a subsidiary of the Aeolian Company Limited of London, affiliated with Vocalion Records of the USA. Susanna's Squeaking Shoes was sung by Beatrice Lilly in both the Broadway and London productions of Charlotte's Review. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7 on demand, Anytime at all online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. He's getting his first birthday segment a bit late, but May 25th marked the birth in 1900 in Brooklyn of Abraham Himmelbrand to David and Annie Himmelbrand, both born in Poland. Doesn't it ring a bell? You may know him better as musician Teddy Brown. He started out performing in vaudeville and playing classical music in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, but eventually switched over completely to popular music. On July 13, 1918, he married Sophie Imselberg, and they had a daughter, Blossom. Later that year, he listed his occupation as a piano player at Thomas Healy's Restaurant on Columbus at 66th, a very trendy lobster palace. In 1925, Teddy went to England with Joseph C. Smith's orchestra, arriving with Sophie and daughter Blossom at Southampton aboard the SS Minnedosa on October 30th. Teddy formed his own orchestra the following year, playing at the Café de Paris, Kit Kat Club, and other nightclubs in London and Paris. 
He was sometimes billed as the Great Xylophonist, a reference not only to his virtuosity, but also to his physical size, nearly 400 pounds, despite which he was quite nimble. He appeared in a 1930 feature film titled Elstree Calling, co-directed by Alfred Hitchcock. From 1931 on, Teddy played on the radio, in films, and on stage. A 1936 article in the Birmingham, England Gazette said that it had been calculated that Teddy hit the bars of his xylophones 113,786,542 times in a year. That feat may have been made easier given the fact that Teddy played a custom-made Besson xylophone with a six-octave range, two more than your usual xylophone. He was a member of the British Grand Order of Water Rats and was King Rat in 1946, but unfortunately he couldn't complete his term. Teddy Brown died in his sleep April 30, 1946, of a heart attack following a performance in Birmingham, England, and is buried at Mount Hebron Cemetery in Flushing, New York. Here are three from Abraham Teddy Brown Himmelbrand.
thank you for the corral show coming on later. So is your old lady. You've got a big friend who's going to be what you're taking along a bottle of scotch. So is your old lady. And when you're sending some baby old Dancing all the hours away, Mary on the clock, Mary. 
My favorite tunes, Fairy on the Clock, written by Ian Whitcomb's uncle, Stanley J. Damerel. That's from an 8-inch 78 on the British broadcast label, number 473A, made in 1929. You heard xylophone and saxophone solos in there, but not at the same time. That's because both those instruments were played by the same person, Teddy Brown. Unfortunately, I don't know who the pianist, percussionist, or vocalist were. Before Ferry on the Clock, vocalist Lionel Rothery with Teddy Brown and his Café de Paris band, and so is Your Old Lady from Imperial 1627, August 20th, 1926. Joe Burke wrote the music and Al Dubin the words. And we started off our tribute to Teddy Brown with Time Alone Will Tell, written by Archie Gottler and Horatio Nichols. The label of Imperial 2585, made around February of 1932, credits Teddy Brown with novelty sextet, but doesn't credit the vocalist. Here's a segment topic we've not had before. Marmata Monax. What? Groundhogs. Something about you, Mama. Sure gives me the blues Hey, hey Something about you, mama Sure gives me the blues It ain't your drop stitch stockings It ain't your blue buckle shoes Hey, hey The elderly you know, sweet mama, I'm bound to love you some. It's the truth, honey. You know, sweet mama, I'm bound to love you some. Cause I've done more for you than anybody ever done. You know it, baby. The elderly, Got me a pretty mama, got me a bulldog too, sure have. Got me a pretty mama, got me a bulldog too. My pretty mama don't love me, but my bulldog do. The older Groundhog rooting round my yard at night. Hey, hey. There's been a groundhog rooting round my yard at night. From the way my mama been treating me, he must be rooting all right. Lord, honey, he must be rooting all right. Deodorly, 
Reedy was born around 1895 in Grassy Creek, North Carolina, but lived most of his adult life in Virginia. He was a skilled finger-picking banjo player and was recruited to play with the Hillbillies, a professional group of country musicians led by singer Al Hopkins and very successful in vaudeville. In May of 1927, the group traveled to New York City to record for the Brunswick and Vocalion labels. The following year, Reedy got a chance to make his own record for Brunswick and put together a group of talented musicians including Frank Wilson on steel guitar, Fred Rowe on fiddle, Fred's brother Henry on guitar, 
as well as guitarist Walter Sparkplug Hughes, and of course Reedy on banjo. They all lived in different states, but came together in Ashland, Kentucky in mid-February 1928 as Jack Reedy and his Walker Mountain String Band, and recorded two sides for Brunswick, the square dance tune Chinese Breakdown, and the one we just heard, Groundhog, a common banjo tune issued on Brunswick 221B. That was the first recording of Groundhog, but it was subsequently covered by the Almanac Singers, Homer and Jethro, Pete Seeger, and about two dozen others. Now, I don't know if you could make out all the words, but a couple of lines in the song go, Yonder come Molly smiling and grinning, groundhog gravy all over her chin. And, Yonder come Gray walking on a cane, swore she'd eat no groundhog brains. We started this Groundhog segment with the singing brakeman Jimmy Rogers and Blue Yodel Number 10, subtitled Groundhog Rootin' in My Backyard. Jimmy accompanied himself on guitar, but you also heard Slim Bryant on guitar. That's from Victor 23696, recorded in Dallas, Texas on February 6, 1932. <laughs> I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. <laughs>